And uh, this morning I just thought we'd take a peek at the Christmas story. We'd bounce around a little bit, okay? And so we're going to start here in John, John 20. And um, in verse 30, I'll give you a second to turn there. And here in John's Gospel, he tells us about, well, it'll be probably subtitled in, in your Bible, the purpose of this book. So John says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here's John. John's wrapping up his gospel and he clearly identifies for anyone who would read his gospel, defines for them the purpose of why he wrote his particular gospel. He says, I want you to come to a certain conclusion. I want you to figure this out as you read everything that I've written here, that the stories I've chosen, the stories that I've told in this gospel are to help you come to a decision about Jesus. He says, I could, have, I could have written lots of other stuff. I could have told different stories about Jesus, different things he taught, different miracles that he performed. I could have given different, different things, but the ones that I have specifically told in my gospel are so that you will come to this conclusion about Jesus, that he is the Christ, he is God's anointed, uh, he is the Messiah, he is the Word, he is God's Son, and... and that by coming to this understanding, you will believe in him and put your faith in him and have life in his name. And how John tries to communicate this, he says, is by telling uh, stories about Jesus, telling about the signs of Jesus, the miraculous signs that, that he uh, performed. Human beings are very good at reading signs. I don't, well, sometimes when we want to be attentive, we're good at reading signs, right? Sometimes I consider them like, my wife gets mad because if I see a no trespassing sign, I usually consider that an invitation. Oh, let's go see what's down there. Yeah, but, I mean, really, we should be, we're, we're good at reading signs. Signs function to communicate to us something that will lead us to come to an appropriate decision or appropriate conclusion. Like, I mean, obviously, a, a, a simple illustration that we all understand is driving, Right? You're driving your vehicle and you're approaching an intersection and the light turns yellow and you know that means step on a gas. <laughs> no, it means we're coming, we're gonna, we need to prepare to stop. We need to adjust the speed at which we're traveling and we need to get a foot on the brake and not on the gas and slow down because it's gonna be unsafe for me and for others around me if I don't stop. In our lives everywhere as humans, we're like reading signs, reading interpreting language, interpreting body language, constantly reading what's going on around us, reacting to it, seeing signs and coming to conclusions. Like I think about when Lisa and I were dating, right? You're like trying to interpret what's going on in this relationship that's a little bit unknown to you as you try to navigate into the future. And it's like, I'll call you at nine. You know, you make this statement. I'm gonna call you, I'm gonna call you at nine. And as nine approaches, you've got all these thoughts going through your head. You're like, well, I don't want to seem too desperate here. So if I call, you know, if I call right at nine, how's that going to be interpreted? And if I wait too long, how's that going to be interpreted? Because I don't want to be, you know, considered a person who's 
not a man of my word, you know, if I wait till 9.05. And so, you know, not too eager, not too lax. Uh, you know, you want to you wanna be cool when you're in that kind of situation. Or at work. You know, you go to work and you want a couple extra days off at Christmas. And maybe you've been there, you're like trying to read the boss. Like, is it now a good time to ask for extra time off? You know, what kind of mood are they in? You know, uh, if he's just talked to me about being late, you know, maybe it's not the best time to be requesting time off. Or in sports, we, we read what's going on, we interpret. You know, that's what the difference is between pros and amateurs in sports is their ability to read and react or read and act and to see a play change and develop and to adjust and make good split decisions. Any, anybody can make split decisions, but we want to make good split decisions in sport. And so in life, we're like constantly, if you think about it, we're always observing, we're always reacting, we're always making judgments, we're always making decisions, we're always trying to read relationships and read things and what's going on around us. Does my child have a fever? What does that mean? Is the sky pink tonight? Oh, right on. It's going to be a good day tomorrow. It's, the weather's going to be good. You know? We're, we're reading all the time, constantly evaluating and coming to decisions. We're looking at signs. Now, that's interesting because, well, many, many places in the Bible, the Lord says, this is the sign. This is what you'll see, and this is how I want you to interpret what you see. This is the understanding you should come to. This is the conclusion you should come to by what, by what you see. Like think about the call of Moses. The Lord called Moses while he was hiding out in the desert in, in Midian. And he said, I want you to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. I've seen their misery. I've heard their cries. They're calling out to me. And I'm going to lead you to, I'm going to use you to lead them to the promised land. And so Moses asked the Lord, you know the story? He said, well, who should I say sent, sent me? And the Lord told him, Tell them I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent uh, me to you. And Moses said to the Lord, well, what if they don't believe me? And, and the Lord pointed out the staff that was in Moses' hand. He said, look at what's in your hand. Now take that staff and drop it to the ground. Throw it to the ground. And when Moses did so, it turned into a snake. You know that story. It's an awesome story. And then the Lord told him, pick it up by the tail. That's where the faith happened in that story. He grabbed that snake by the tail and it turned back into a staff. Then the Lord told him, take your hand, put it inside your cloak. Now pull it out. He pulled his hand out. It was leprous, white as, and, and white. And the Lord told him, put your hand back in the cloak. And he put his hand back in his cloak and he pulled it out and his hand was restored to complete health. And so the Lord said to Moses, these are signs that I give you to show the people that I am with you, that I have sent you, and that I am going to do this on their behalf. In other words, they're going to see these signs, and they're going to come to specific conclusions when they see these signs. Or think about the calling of, of King Saul. When King Saul was anointed by Samuel, he was anointed king, and then he was told a number of things are going to unfold. These things are going to happen. Samuel said them to him. He said, he said you're going to leave here. You're going to go uh, towards Rachel's tomb, and then you're going to meet two men, and those two men are going to tell you the donkeys that are lost and that you've been searching for have been found, and now your father's worried about you. 
Then you're going to go, and you're going to go towards the great tree at Tabor, and you're going to meet three individuals. One of them's going to be carrying three young goats. Another's going to have three loaves of bread, and another, the third, will have a, a, a wineskin. And the man with the loaves of bread is going to offer you two out of those three loaves, and I want you to take those loaves of bread. And after that, you're going to go to Gibeah, and you're going to meet a company of prophets. And when you meet these prophets, this is what's going to happen. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, Saul, in power, and you will be changed into a different man, and you will prophesy. And then Samuel said to Saul, once all of these signs are fulfilled, once all that's gone on, then whatever, whatever is in your hand, whatever you decide you want to do, you go ahead and do it because the Lord is with you. And we know the story of Saul, those very things happened. Very, and so God gave him through the prophet very specific signs. Signs to recognize that he was God's anointed man for the time. That the spirit of God was upon him. That God was with him in whatever he was about to do. In the case of Moses, very specific signs. And the people of Israel were to conclude that the God of Israel had called Moses to be their leader to lead them out of, out of slavery. Very specific signs with regards to Saul that Saul was to conclude. I, I'm, I'm the man that God's called me to be, to be the king. And when it comes to the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus Christ, the Lord gave very specific signs. So that when people saw these signs, they would come to the correct conclusion. That they would assume, that they would reason, that they would use their logic and they would figure it out and they'd say wait a minute this child is the Christ this child is the Messiah the prophesied one this is the one through whom God is going to save his people and so what I thought we'd do this morning is we just check out some of the signs in the Christmas in the Christmas story there's they're simple their conclusions are simple but they're true and they're real and we're supposed to get the proper read off of the sign. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. A little background to this story in Isaiah 7 and the prophecies of Isaiah. Uh, there is a king who is ruling over the southern kingdom of Judah. You recall that the nation of Israel has had a split. There's been a divide. Ten tribes have gone off to the north. They have a king of their own. They're referred to as Israel. There's two tribes in the south. They're called Judah. Judah is in control of Jerusalem. And the king that is ruling in, in Jerusalem, he's a descendant of David, is a wicked man. His name's Ahaz. You remember, you remember him. And, and Ahaz... Um, is there, he's ruling, he's not living for the Lord, he's not walking with the Lord, he's not leading the nation uh, towards the Lord. And what had happened was this, is that um, the armies of a foreign king had gathered with the northern kingdom of Israel and their king, and they had come against the city of Jerusalem. They were besieging uh, the city, and so Ahaz, this wicked king, does this. He, um, he doesn't call, well, here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't call on the Lord to help him. Instead, he takes some of his fortune and he hires the Assyrians to come and to rescue him and to rescue the people of Judah. 
And so into that situation, the Lord sends the prophet Isaiah. And it's like, hey man, what are you doing? Why are you hiring the kings and the nations and the armies of Assyria, these foreign people, when you can call on the Lord? And Isaiah says that, that Ahaz and the people were so filled with fear that they were shaking like the trees of the forest when they're shaken by the wind, like the wind that we've seen the last few days. Actually, check out verse 2. We'll read verse 2. It says this, When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. They're, They're filled with absolute terror. They're fearing for their lives. If you've ever had... Fear, that, this is the same fear that we read about in the Christmas story. In the Greek, it's called the, it's, it's megas megas phobia. It's like to be grabbed with fear so that you shake. That's what hap- what's, what's happening for the children of Israel here, or Judah, the residents of Jerusalem. And so the Lord sends Isaiah, and he comes to communicate to them and to speak to their fear and to say, listen, you need to hear the word of the Lord this city is not going to fall. God is not going to give this city over to these armies. And, and Isaiah actually gives this word in, in a verse 9. At the end of verse 9, he, said, he says this, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. He's saying, don't be afraid. Trust the Lord. Actually, let's read verse uh, 10 through 14 in Isaiah chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you also weary, that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And so the Lord speaks through the prophet. He says, Ahaz, ask for a sign. Ask for whatever sign you want. I don't want you to fear the Lord saying, I do not want you to fear Ahaz. So you pick the sign. It can be the highest of heights. It can reach up to heaven. It can be of the lowest of lows. It can go to the depths of hell. You pick the sign. I will answer so that you know that you don't have to be afraid. I'm confirming my word. This city will not fall. And how does Ahaz respond? It's kind of an interesting story. It's like, he says, I won't ask. I'm not, I'm, I will not put the Lord to the test. And I'm like, kind of at your first, you first read that, you assume, oh, wow, well, that's so spiritual, Ahaz. Like, ooh, you just, you just trust the word of the Lord. But was this guy trusting the word of the Lord? No, who had he hired? Hired the Assyrians. It sounds like he's being all noble. He's not going to ask for a sign. He's not going to put the Lord to the test, but it's, it's false humility. On the sly, he had purchased help. On the, on the sly, he'd taken the finances of the kingdom, and he had hired the help of Assyria. And if he believed God's promise, then he would have just busted that off. He would have repented right there. Lord, I'm sorry. You shouldn't have hired the Assyrians. So, you know, I wasn't trusting you. I'll get rid of them and I'll, and I'll trust you and I'll call the nation back towards you. But Ahaz doesn't do any of that. He was unbelieving. He was unbelieving to the, to the word of God, unbelieving that God would come through. And so God meets him in his unbelief and says, you go ahead. 
Ask me for a sign. You name it. I'll give it to you. Ask for anything you want. But Ahaz was acting falsely. How could he ask the Lord for a special sign when he's got this secret agreement on the side? And so he acts all holy, but he's playing a game. And so instead of speaking to the king, Isaiah does this. He turns to the people and he gives a prophecy not to the king. He gives a prophecy to the people. Look at it again in verse uh, 13. And he said, hear then, O house of David. He turns, he, he, he turns this to a greater audience than just to the king. And he prophesies this. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This will be the sign. This will be the sign. Now we know the fulfillment of that, right? We know the fulfillment of that. that. That's a sign to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. Uh, and the virgin birth is like very important. It's an important doctrine to our Christian faith. You know, I want to tell you, don't ever believe what, what some teach that tell you the virgin birth is not important. The virgin birth is like, it's huge. It's a mountain we die on. We don't give up that one. We don't give up that doctrine. If Jesus is the son of, son of God, then, then he had to come and live a life without sin. He had to be born of a virgin. His conception had to be a part of human generation because he existed before his mother. He existed before his mother. We read this morning the, uh, from, from John chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1. Our name for Jesus, the third week of Advent, is what? The Word. It's very interesting that John, when he starts his gospel, he doesn't talk about Jesus. He talks about the word. You go home today and read John chapter 1, you'll notice that John does not use the name Jesus until about verse 17. He just refers to him as the word. Because Jesus' name before it was Jesus was what? The word. Because he existed eternally in relationship with the Father, the divine Son. And that Greek word was, is, is logos, logos. Again, it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, the logos of God. The logos of God, the word of God. It means this, the account of God, the cause of God, the communicate of God, the communication of God, the intent of God, the matter of God, the question of God, the reason of God. That's what this name means. The reason of God, the report of God, the saying of God, the display of God's power, the showing of God, the speech of God, the talk of God, the thing of God, the utterance of God, the treaties of God, the word of God. The word of God, the logos. It's very interesting, you know, like we use that word logos in our language all the time. We don't catch it. We miss it. It's in our English language. It's everywhere. Like we speak of uh, biology. Bio, life, ology, logos, the word of life, the, the study of life. We're trying, when we say, when we, when we add Ology on the end of thing, we're adding the word. It's, it's, it's interesting because it's like man trying to understand. Biology, what are we trying to understand? Where did life come from? 
Someone give me a word to explain where life came from. Psychology. What are we trying to understand? The mind. The science of human thinking. Someone explain to me human thought. Somebody explain to me the mind. I need a, a word to explain it. Or we, we talk about geology. The study of the substance of the earth. It's like tell me a word that explains where this world came from. Where did this world come from? I need geology to explain it. Or we talk even of biblical things like theology. Where's the nature of God? What's the word of God? Where, is the, where did the word of God come from? Or we speak of eschatology. Give me the word of the last days. What, how should I know what's going to happen in the future? I need a word to explain it. Or criminology. I need a word to explain why humans are broken and why they do evil things. Someone explain to me. Crime and criminals, give me a word that will help me. John says, in the beginning was the word. The answer is Jesus. He's the answer for the mind of man. He's the answer to life. He's the answer explaining where this world came from. He's the answer to the nature of God. He is the answer to what the end of days is. Uh, he is the answer to why human beings act in crime and as criminals because of sin. He's, he's the answer and he's come as the solution. John says, in the beginning was the word. The substance of God. The reason of God. And he was eternal. And he was relational. And he is the divine son of God. And John 1.14 that we read this morning says this. And the word became Flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. I love that translation that was read from this morning. It was like a, what was that, living? Yeah, living. I had one hiccup with it. Here's my hiccup. I caught it because I was studying this week. <laughs> was it said, it said this. And the word became human. He didn't become human, he became flesh. And it's an important distinction, he became flesh. He shared in humanity. He became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was not just born into this world. He came down from heaven he shared in humanity. He was clothed in flesh. The word became flesh and he lived a perfect, sinless life. And Jesus was sent into the world by the Father. And he had a human mother, but he had no human, fleshly, biological father. And if he did, if he had a biological father, then he is not what Isaiah prophesied. He is not Emmanuel, God with us. And so Isaiah's sign is, is humanly impossible. When we read this, it's like humanly impossible. How, how can the virgin conceive? We know that's, you know, if you haven't got that figured out and you haven't had that conversation yet, you might want to have, go home and have somebody explain to you where babies come from, okay? They don't, it's not what happens, right? Virgins don't conceive, Give birth to a child. But that's what Isaiah prophesied. And they said his name will be called Emmanuel. God with us. 
And the sign from Isaiah, it actually had an immediate fulfillment. If you read the story of Isaiah, you find out this, that, that the Lord commanded him. He, he took a wife. His first wife passed away. He took a wife. She was a virgin. She conceived the child, the two of them biologically, and they named that child Emmanuel. There was a quick fulfillment to this, but ultimately the fulfillment is Jesus Christ's birth. He was literally born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And the Lord wants us to come to a very specific conclusion when we look at the sign that he's given us, and it's this, that in Jesus, God is with us. That he is God in the flesh. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. The sign of a savior. He is Christ the Lord. Let's read it. Chapter 2, verse 8 to 20. It says this. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. There it is right there. It's like the children of Israel in Ahaz day, Megas Megasphobia, man. That'll scare you. If a whole bunch of angels show up, you'll be terrified. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day, sorry, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered, at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Shepherds knew exactly what they were looking for, didn't they? When they went to Bethlehem, it wasn't like, well, what should we look for? They were told, just like Saul was told. You'll meet three guys, they'll have young goats, they're gonna give you two pieces. Look, you're gonna go to Bethlehem, And you're going to find this. And this is what you are to look for. You are to look for a baby swaddled in cloths and lying in a manger. This is a sign from the Lord. And when you see this sign, I I want you, the Lord says, I want you to come to this conclusion. This is a savior. This is the savior. This is Christ the Lord. Now we know this. Like do babies belong in mangers? No, you don't put babies in mangers. You know, I was, I was looking around at some of my photos as I was thinking about this. We do our trip to Israel. And uh, when we go to Israel, uh, we end up at Megiddo. In Megiddo, there was a great number of, of stalls for horses. And so they have tons of mangers. You can see these mangers. And we have this like little wooden cradle thing in mind. But they were made of stone in those days and in that culture. They were, they were made of stone and just this cutout trough. And every time we're there, my friend, Pastor Brent Smith, climbs into the manger 
and like puts his knees up and sucks his thumb. And I have this picture of him, and he looks like a freaking idiot. Like, I could just say that about him. You guys know Brent, because it's like, what the heck? What are you doing? A man in a manger is wrong. Like, that's a food trough for an animal, and you look crazy. What are you doing? But we have a laugh about it, right? Anyways, well, I'll show you a photo of Brent in the manger at some point in time. These babies don't belong in the mangers, and we, and we know the, the story of how Jesus ended up there. And the shepherds went looking and they found the very sign that they were told. They went, they went and they searched, actually, the scripture says, that means this, that they went and intently, they went looking to discover what the Lord told them they should look for. Like they went searching and they found him. And when they found him, they worshiped him and they spread the word concerning everything that they had been told regarding this child. And the shepherds are a great example. You know, the Lord gave them a message. They responded in faith. They responded with immediate obedience and they went with regards to the word of the Lord. And then they did this. When they saw it was true, they shared with those around them. Shepherds are an interesting group of folks for God to deliver good news to. Because in that culture, shepherds were uh, considered unclean. They were considered unclean. And so in a court of law, in Jewish law, this isn't a biblical thing, it was a cultural thing. Shepherds were not allowed to give testimony. Did you know that? They were not, you were not to take the testimony or the witness of a shepherd. Because they were unreliable. You know, they like look after animals. They move them from here to here. They like maybe sneak onto your property in the evening and help themselves to some of your crops and they do this. They weren't con- shepherds weren't considered like a, a noble position in that culture. Their word wasn't considered legal testimony. And so it's amazing. God says, what? That's not my word, man. That's your culture. On the witness of two or three testimonies, it'll be established. First witness to the coming of the Savior the first to see the prophecies of the Old Testament fulfilled, the birth of a child, those whom the world counted out. God says, no, you'll be my witnesses. And when we look at this sign, when the shepherds look at the sign, they were to come to a very specific conclusion. Read, react, get a read on what's going on. And the conclusion God wanted them to come to regarding this baby Jesus, that this baby Jesus is a savior. He is Christ the Lord. He is the expected Messiah. He is the anointed of God. One more sign we'll look at. Luke chapter 2. Verse 21, we'll pick it up. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written... In the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And you have prepared, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. And the sword will pierce, your own, pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The word sign can mean this. It mean, well, it does mean this. It means miracle. You know, often when we think of a miracle, we think of a demonstration of power, right? We think like, whoa, you know, Jesus walking on the water, someone being healed of a sickness or a disease. But a miracle as a sign is not so much a demonstration of power, but a, a revelation of divine truth. It's like when God reveals something by your spirit to your finite little mind and heart, that's a miracle. It's like, wow, a revelation happened. God worked through a tool like me, or he spoke to me. And so signs can be a revelation of divine truth. And these signs, they, they we're looking at, they reveal special truths about Jesus. Jesus is God's miracle for us. He is God's sign to us. But often instead of being wowed by the miracle of Emmanuel, God with us, rather than realizing that Jesus is a light unto the Gentiles and the glory of Israel, people instead do this. They attack him. They speak against him. Simeon said that'll be a sign that he actually is whom God says he is, that he is a light to the People will speak against him. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. His birth was a miracle. I mean, all of, all of these things were signs for mankind to identify Jesus as the Lord's Messiah, as his Christ, as his anointed. And yet, as he grew older and began his ministry, men did what? They slandered him. They slandered him. Herod was the first, even as a child. What's the first move? Instead of worshiping, he sought to kill him. You know, the religious leaders accused him of doing miracles by the power of Satan. They attacked his character. When he hung on a cross, they continued to hurl their slander and their insults against him. When he rose from the dead, they made up stories to lie about the truth and the facts and defame him once again. And little's changed today, right? The attacks on Jesus. People even mock that followers of Jesus would expect him to come a second time. In the season of Advent, we're not just remembering his first coming, we're looking forward to his second coming. He's promised he's going to come again. And the scripture gives twice as many prophecies regarding his second coming as his first. Little's changed. Simeon prophesied this baby would be a sign that would be spoken against. And the way that people talk about Jesus it exposes the attitudes of their hearts towards him. 
You know, you've been around people. It's like they use the name of Jesus as a cuss. It's a cuss word. And when they do that, they're fulfilling what Simeon said, what he prophesied. I know great you, you're around it. It's like I get around it once in a while. It's like, oh my gosh. I'd rather, I'd rather hear the F-bomb a hundred times than the name of Jesus used once as a cuss. You know, why don't people, like, we ask this question, it's like, why don't we say Buddha? You know? Why don't, why don't they say Allah? Why don't they say Hare Krishna? That sounds like a good one to me. Like, you know, if you need a cuss or something. No, what, what's the name men use? It's the name Jesus Christ. And when they cuss, they reveal the attitudes of their own hearts. They reveal their position of hostility and rebellion against the Lord's anointed. They fulfill the sign that Simeon gave. You know, the next time you hear someone just cuss in the name of Jesus, I, I just encourage you, remember what Simeon prophesied. It's a sign. He truly is who, he, who the word of God declares him to be. Otherwise, they would be using the name Buddha or Allah or Hare Krishna. Matt, can you read it again? The prophecy? Yep, absolutely. I'll pick it up in verse 33. Actually, let's go back. We'll go to 29. It's so great. Simeon takes up Jesus in his arms and he blesses God. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce, your own, pierce through your own soul as well so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Look, Jesus, he's a dividing line. You're for him or you're against him. The, the heart, the, every heart is revealed in the way that it speaks of Jesus. You downgrade him, you lower him. You know, we've seen this in First John, in First, Second, Third John. The way that he could be treated by those who downgrade his, his humanity or his deity and try and change the nature of what the Bible teaches about him. The way some hearts will speak, speak of him as a cuss, he, he, he's a sign that is to be opposed. And Simeon is saying this, the fact that he's opposed tells you that he is who God declared he is. This child is a sign to be spoken against. I think that's what it says in the NIV. To be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Look, God gives the sign for this reason. The Lord wants us to come to very specific conclusions about Jesus. Read and react. And the conclusion God wants us to come to regarding this baby that we celebrate at this season is this, is that Jesus is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is Christ the Lord, the Lord's anointed. And the scripture tells us that Jesus is not just 
a cornerstone, but he's a, he's a touchstone that when you touch, when you come near Jesus, he exposes your heart. That's why Jesus said this to his disciples. He turned to them and he said, you know, the crowds say this. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And all the signs, all the evidence, I mean, we just look at three quick ones this morning. Not so quick. All the evidence points to the fact that Jesus is, whew, all the signs. <laughs> Should I blow it out? I'll blow it out. Let's put us all to rest here. <sighs> Funny, we were talking about that this morning. Somebody asked me, like, have you ever had it go all the way down and the thing light up? And I said, no. And then Jess said, oh, we had that happen at our other church and burned down. One of the branches caught on fire. I'm like, wow. So there we are. Okay, good. All the signs, all the evidence points to the fact that Jesus is the Son of, Son of God coming to flesh, the Savior of the world. He's God's plan for the salvation of mankind. You know, the Pharisees, they came to Jesus and they actually asked for a sign. They said, give us a sign. And, and he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> give you a sign? Like, I've been doing all these things, saying all these things, and you refuse to believe. And his response to the Pharisees was this. A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. And none will be given it except for the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. See, the Pharisees, they, they wanted to ignore all of the existing signs, and they wanted Jesus to do something special to reveal his true identity, but everything was already in place. Like all the signs were already there if they just actually have an open heart. And look, everything that they needed to make the conclusion that Jesus was the Lord's Christ was there. And everything that we need to come to the proper conclusion with regards to the identity of Jesus is there for you and I too. It's like, will we go like the shepherds? Go and look. And search it out. And the signs are important. The signs are important. They're important. But I'll tell you this. Sinners are not saved by signs. Sinners are saved by reading the signs and then turning to Jesus. By believing in his name. You know, the scripture tells us that many Many saw other signs that Jesus performed. They saw great miracles and they believed in the miracles. Crowds followed him because of the signs that he performed. But faith in signs has to become faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Remember Isaiah said to Ahaz, if you don't stand firm in faith, you won't stand at all. You know, John's gospel, where we started off, it, I'll read it to you again. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. There's life in Jesus, isn't there? We put our faith in him. We put our hope in him. And you know, it's amazing that as John writes that, you know, you kind of you read that and you think, well, this is like information for people who don't know. 
John's actually not saying that in the original language. He's speaking to people who already believe in Jesus. And he's saying this, you need to grow in this. You need to grow in your reading of the signs and in your understanding. I don't want you to waffle. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be shaken when the wind blows and when the armies come. I want you to be firm in your faith. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. You need to know who Jesus is. And so John says to people who already believe, you look at the things I've written and you come to a greater understanding of who Jesus is. Look, church, Lord doesn't want you to be unsure. He wants you to know. He's put all the signs there for you to know without a shadow of a doubt. Let's pray. Invite the worship team to come. Jesus, Jesus, we love you. So thankful that you are who the word of God declares you to be. You are the Lord's Christ, his anointed, the Messiah. And Lord, we thank you that you've given all the evidence, all the signs that we as your followers are to read and to see and to understand and to put our faith in you. And Jesus, this morning, we just remind ourselves, it's not science that we put our faith in, it's the Son of God that we put our faith in. And Jesus, we thank you that with confidence, we can know that you are who you declared yourself to be. Lord, would you help us to grow in our assurance? Would you help us, Lord, to grow in our understanding of faith? Would you help us, Lord, not to be fearful or to be shaken by winds of doctrine and the waves of the sea, Lord, but that we would be rock solid, steady, anchored on Christ and in the truth of his word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the word of God, the logos of God. My mind, my life, the ground under my feet, you're the source of it all. And Jesus, we want to serve you. And so God, bring glory to your name and to your person through our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.